Our knowledge is vast to learn real fast. It's about the Heavy Podcast! Rainforest, Monishies, Vikings and Normans, you won't find this very boring. Anybody can watch this about them in class. It's about the Heavy Podcast! Granny, granddads, mom and dads, they all love the Heavy Podcast! Decks, doors, windows and floors, listen if you want to learn some more. The Heavy Podcast! Hello and welcome to episode 3 of the House Tree Podcast a show telling the story and stories of our locality. On today's podcast, we will hear the story of the Finn Gaul, the fair-haired strangers, and how they impacted our area. Callum, Lachlan, Sam, Keen, Jamie, Chris, Harry and Callum worked hard to research this episode. From battles in Glasnevin to the Viking Lady of Finglas, once more Ballygall finds itself at the centre of a huge change in our history. I'm sure a lot of people have heard the name Fingal or Fiungal in Irish, translating to the fair-haired foreigner. It was a name given to a group of people who settled in Dublin, landed on Lambay Island a long, long time ago. Whom we know today is the Vikings, and welcome to episode 3 of the Hairsty Podcast. The misconception people make about Vikings is the horns on the helmet, but in truth they didn't have horns on the helmet, and as for clothes they didn't always wear battle armour, only in battles they wore it. As for their everyday clothes, they wore tunics made mostly of cotton and wool. And as for their footwear, they wore boots made made of leather that typically came up above their ankles. They wore these to be comfortable in their everyday lives. We are made to believe that Vikings were these ugly, smelly people, but actually they had phenomenal hygiene and were overall very clean people. Making fires back then was probably a lot of stress, but Vikings used specific liquids to start nice and warm fires. Vikings settled in Ireland in 841 AD and onwards. They first landed on Lambay Island and quickly took over Dublin so they could maximise their space. So they built houses and villages. Vikings set up Ireland's first trade routes. They traded items such as silver, silk, spices, wine, wheat, wood, wool, iron, fur, jewellery and more. Vikings gave the name Dublin, which means Black Pool, and they gave they gave it that name because beside where we all know as as Dublin Castle, there was a little pool. But we'll come back to that later. Dublin archaeologists found the body of a Viking woman at the end of the Green Bridge, just outside the St Canice's graveyard in Dublin. It is estimated that the body that she was buried in and around 1,100 years ago. They ended up coming across the body during the time-consuming construction of 48 apartments. When she was found, her body was almost fully intact from her knees up. There was also two stunning golden oval brooches that were perfect and fully intact. Now coming back to when we talked about Dublin, meaning Blackpool, it was beside Chester Beatty Library. It cannot be seen overground as of today. But if you go down, if you go on the Dublin Castle Tower, go down one of the towers and go all the way to the ground, you can see the Puddle River flowing into the Liffey. Legend has it that there was a battle on the Bloody Acre between Roderick O'Connor and the fierce Viking hordes. The Bloody Acre is in a place in Glasnevin by Tolka River and behind Glasnevin Cemetery. In conclusion, in conclusion, Vikings are fierce warriors who would raid, trade and settle in Dublin. If you happen to live in Glasnevin, recent reports have shown 
that locals are uncovering weapons and armory, which seem to date back to the Battle of Clontarf 1014. We also we recommend having a look in your garden as you may find something interesting. We also recommend going to the ancient St. Canice's Church Gate in Fingers, as you will find a sign dedicated to the Viking lady whose body was discovered in 2004. Her amazingly preserved brooches are located in the National Museum of Ireland, Kildare Street. We highly recommend paying a visit if you ever get the chance because they are still intact as well as show very beautiful detail. Thank you for listening to the third episode of the House Street Podcast. And now sit back, relax and enjoy this upcoming interview. Our feature interview sees Jack chatting with his granddad, Billy McMahon. He tells us the story of how 60 years ago, love and a shared sense of place made the decision for him and his wife Lena to locate in our area. From the story of Galbor builders and how the estates were formed, to his work in the community and his years working in independent newspapers, it makes for a fascinating listen. Hello, I'm Jack and today I'll be talking to my granddad Billy McMahon. So, so granddad, where did you grow up? I grew up in Drumcondra. What road? Fleming Road. And uh, what was it like living up in there? It was great hmm? because we had parks around us and we had all sorts of things to do to keep us busy. Uh, what games would you have played as a child? We would have played street games mostly because we did not have the lovely parks that you have today. And we would have, we would have played football, we would have played hurling, we would have played... Uh, a game called Relivio, a chasing game. And um, it was very much games played and shared with your pals and your schoolmates. And when did you move to Willow Park Crescent? 1961. And what made you move here? Well, we got married, myself and Lena, my wife Lena, got married in sixty. And then the house was being built at that time, as all of the houses around here were being built at that time. And we had seen these houses going up, and what's more, there were bungalows, and we always said we'd like to live in a bungalow. So when they start building on this road, we went to see the builder, and we booked one of them. Mm-hmm. And what did you get to see the house uh Rising, did you get to see the house being built? Absolutely. I gave the builder a pain in the proverbial because I used to come up every Saturday and visit the site that was being built. And I'd say it took about six months to nine months. And we'd be here every Saturday, have a chat with him, got him to change a few things that we didn't like. And it was, he was a great builder and he was very pleasant to work with. Do you know the name of the company? Yeah, it was Galber Construction. And there was two people who owned it. And one was a Mr. Gallagher. And I can't remember the other fellow's name at the moment, although I can see him in my mind. And they were always on site and nothing was a problem to talk to him about. And um, what mainly prompted you to move here? Was there anything in particular about the area that uh, you liked? Yeah. Now, if I can go back, Burke was the name of the other builder. So it was Gallagher and Burke. 
And that's how they call the company Galbar Construction, Gallagher and Park. Now, to answer your question, um, what was it again? Uh, what made you move to the area? Well, I lived in Drumcondra. Mm-hmm. I grew up in Drumcondra. Uh, Lena lived in Fingers West. And it was about halfway between. And we often felt it would be nice to live in this area, although there were only building houses. But we had the idea it was half of her as half of mine area to, to live in. And then when they start building the bungalows, which we fancied, we were delighted. And did Gilbert, what was the name of the company? Gallagher and Burke. Gallagher, Gallagher and Burke. Construction. Did they build a lot of the houses around this area at the time? They didn't build it. In those days, you had small builders who might build 20 houses, but you'd have maybe uh, 10 or 12 builders that size. And they all had different designs on different roads that you could pick to see which road did you want to live on and did you like the design that they were building. And uh, where did you work when you first moved here? Where did I work? Yes. I worked in independent newspapers. And what did that involve? I was working, I served my time, my apprenticeship, as a maintenance fitter in the engineering section. And I had to do five years at that. And that meant that you went through different stages in the five years. But your work mainly was the repair and maintenance of all the plant and machinery in the independent. And uh, how far away was the... How far away was the commute from here to your workplace? From here to my work, well, it was Abbey Street is where the newspaper was at that time. And this is what, it's about five, six miles from here to Abbey Street. And what about the shops down the road from you, from uh, you down there by a spa? What were they like when you first moved in? They were only building them. Only building them? Only building them, yeah, yeah. And were they the houses? shops would have been down on uh, Glass 7 Avenue. And what shops were there? Do you remember? Was there different shops? or um, The ones where, where they, that they are there now, there was a chemist, there was a grocery shop, there was a laundry shop. Just a good mix. Yeah. But not too many. You wouldn't have 50 shops. I get you. You know. And did you do any uh, volunteer work around the area? I did. I did. A lot? I did quite a lot. Okay. I was in the St. Vincent de Paul Society Mm -hmm. for 15 years. And we used to go to visit families all around Fingless, but mostly the far side of Fingless, which was a new area at that time. And had a lot of new families with young children. And uh, that was that was in relation to that. But we I also worked on the um, boards of management in primary schools in the area, 
in secondary schools and there was a special school over in Fingless West for lads who had problems with uh, not going anywhere to school or otherwise and it was a special school so I was on the board there so that would have been there would have been about 30 years spent doing that and you men you mentioned uh, before we started this that you did you volunteered up in St. Canis's Church. Yeah. Can you tell me about that? Well, I I was a minister of the Eucharist for a good number of years. And basically it was assisting at any uh, ceremonies or anything else that went on and giving the priests of the parish a handout where they'd be short of people to help them. Good. And um, would you have done much else involving uh, the community around here? Uh, not really. Uh, mostly it was what we'd call parochial work, like I said to you about helping out in the schools and helping out in the church. Um, anything else would be probably where you'd be enjoying playing football or out with the lads. Uh, are going cycling because in those days there wasn't as many facilities around as there are now I mean there's a whole load of uh, activities in this area you didn't have a swimming pool you didn't have all the football pitches and all the rest but as the area got older and more houses were built the corporation and the authorities produced uh, these facilities and people joined up and there was a good activity in, in the area and what about the community around uh, Willow Park Crescent was it a very mixed community at the start or when did it uh, start to evolve uh, when you say mixed... Mixed race, anything? No, in, in those days, uh, in the early days, I'm talking about the 60s onwards, um, the, the, there wasn't a great mix of race because the uh, people who came into the country have only really come into it in the last 20, 30 years. And I'm going back 60 years. So there wasn't a great mix. But as it, the area progressed and then people moved house for different reasons, for work or whatever, uh, they moved areas. Other people bought their houses and that's when the mix started with the different races and that, which we have today. And what about the value of the houses in the 60s? Would they have changed much over the years? Well, they've changed enormously. Enormously? Yeah. Uh, in the in, in the 1960 when this house was built, it was it cost 1800 pounds, which it was at that time, uh, to buy this house. Now, if you wanted to buy this house now, you'd be paying um, 400 for. 400,000 
Mad. to buy it now. Now, the value of the money has changed as well. But yes, there's a big difference. And what about the families that lived here? Would they have been uh, poor families or richer families or was there a mix? There was a mix. And I'd say mostly it was middle, what they call middle class. And, uh, and working class. Uh, it was a great mix of working class people with different, with different careers. So you had a great mix altogether. And what about at the green in front? Was that always used for kids to run around and play football? Yeah. It was, that was provided by Dublin Corporation when they built the houses. And it was nicely finished and it's been great. Uh, and they've never threatened to build on it or anything like that. So it's even in the summertime here, it's nice to see the kids out playing on it. And what about the... Is there anything in the area around Willow Park Crescent that has been here for a substantial amount of time? Like the park even, the Poppentry Park is near here. So uh, what was that like in the 60s? Well, Poppentry Park wasn't a park in those days. And most of the green spaces was farmland. And as they had built these houses in the 60s, they took over the farmlands to build more houses. So there was less farming happening in the area and more uh, residential and recreational activities on the green spaces. But I must say the corporation did a great job over the years of developing all these places. And is there any big differences from now to from then to now, or anything that's stayed the same for so long? Uh, well, I suppose uh, once the houses and the green spaces were built, uh, and then you had the development of Ballymun, which was huge at the time, that has changed, but there's people still living there. But um, was there was there changes? Was there well the airport is was always there since nineteen thirty, and it's still there. And when I sit in this room and look out the window, I can see aircraft taking off out my front window. Now it's not just across the road, but it's about five or ten minutes on a bike to go out to the runway and see the planes taking off, which can be a very interesting hobby or pastime, especially in the summertime. And can I go back to your work? You printed out, you worked in a newspaper factory, yes? Yeah. And what was the newspaper called? The Independent Newspaper. And when, when were they first established? They were established going back in the 1800s, but they were under a different name. And they've been there, they've only changed lately in the last few years. And they built a new factory out on the Nace Road and put in new machinery. That was the biggest development over the years since. But they were there and they were very well 
considered company to work for, as well as the job they did. And when you were working there, would they have the same coverage? Uh, like nowadays, you go into your local shop and there'd be an independent there. Was it always like that? Yeah, it was. So they had quite a big uh, reader. Circulation. Yeah. Yeah. They had a very big circulation because they printed for the whole country. And the papers would be printed, say, uh, the independent. They also printed um, the Herald. That was the evening paper. And the independent was the morning paper. And uh, they would print it at about one or two in the morning. And there was vans and lorries outside the independent premises at that hour of the morning, waiting to take the papers to the train stations around the city and all the shops that sold them. And they would deliver bundles of papers to these places so that when the shops opened at about 8 o'clock in the morning, they had the papers for sale. And what about the local shops? Would there have been a spa back then or would you have had a different shop? It would be a different shop. It would be selling the same things, but it wouldn't have been. Spar became a big operation for so many shops. But most shops were owned by maybe one man or one family or something. But they all had their own way of dealing with our customers. And uh, is there anything else very interesting uh, that you'd know of around the area? Well, I suppose the biggest thing is the airport mm. and all of, all, all of the swimming pools and the sports uh, uh, clubs that have developed over the years and they've made it a fine area to be here. So if you go outside of the area, then you're moving into what's called agricultural land where there would still be a bit of farming going on. And what about Johnstown Park? What Johnstown was that like? Park was a farm. A farm? Yep. It was a farm. And the road that's going down Ballygall now used to be the main road coming up from the city to here. But on either side of that road, there were fields and there was cattle. And some horses would be in there owned by farmers. And at that stage would have Johnstown House, the big house uh, in the nowadays park, would that have been knocked down by the 60s? Yeah. yeah. Well, not by the 60s, but uh, in, the, in the last 20 years. Ah. Because they built houses now and they developed the parks and they needed the land. I'm happy to wrap it up here, are you? Is there anything else you'd like well, you're, to say? Well, you're the interviewer, so whatever you say goes. Okay. Well, if there's anything else you'd like to say, say it now. Well, I suppose the biggest change that we see now is that I can remember, for argument's sake, there was a church built uh, over in Fingless West, Church of the Incarnation. And that was built, and it's if you go over there this week, you'll see JCBs and all pulling it down. 
for two reasons. The church had developed faults in the building structure and they decided it's as well to take it down. Plus, they want to make it a bit smaller because the numbers of people who are using them isn't as great. So they're going to build uh, office and shopping complex on the site, but they will include a small church. What about Finglas Village? What was that like? Finglas Village was more or less the same as it is. Now, there would be old, old shops and shops that may be gone now. But having said that, it was still a village where people could go and buy various bits and pieces. And, of course, the supermarkets took away a lot of that business. Okay. This has been Jack uh, on the Sacred Heart BNS House Street Podcast. Uh, Bye. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the House Street Podcast. The boys and myself have been blown away by the goodwill and support we've received since we started releasing these podcasts. It's so great that the boys' hard work has been listened to and that people can learn about our area. We've had listeners as far away as New Zealand and Canada learning about our wonderful local area, Ballygall. For now, Fonagy Slán. Please keep listening and encouraging others to do the same. If you haven't already, then please listen to the Explainer pod and the first two episodes on ring forts and monasteries. Slán agus sunas orifse. Our knowledge is vast to learn real fast. It's about the Heavy Podcast! Rainforest, Monarchies, Vikings, and Normans, you won't find this very boring. Anybody can watch this about them in class. It's about the Heavy Podcast! Granny, Grandads, Mom, and Dads, they all love the Heavy Podcast! Decks, doors, windows, and floors. Listen if you want to learn some more. The Heavy Podcast!